Okay, we have been reading three books as part of our annual readings as a congregation. The primary one of those is the Benedict Option. And I've been addressing that in videos on YouTube and on our uh, Facebook page. And uh, we started a series on that. Uh, the series was interrupted by the Holy Days, and so you may not remember all of that. I want to give you a brief reminder of what we talked about um, as we finish uh, um, this with some discussions, the first one being today. Um, in, in the first uh, message on it, the coming storm, I addressed the changes in Western culture, the idea of emerging secularism, radical individualism, post-modernity with all of its feeling uh, uh, epistemology, pluralism that uh, really makes groups significant, but there's a hostility towards believers in that context. The extended adolescence of our uh, generations and changes in gender, marriage, sexuality, and reproduction uh, that this culture has undergone. And then the media and education systems, which have resulted in a loss of critical thinking and a uh, more advertising mentality to just about everything that we do. Also address the changes that were in the church uh, with a focus on evangelism rather than discipleship, seeker-friendly services that are more about entertainment and just getting people to come, multiple Bible translations which give us less of a, a common knowledge of the Word of God, and the idea that God speaks to everybody uh, independently of the scriptures, so that in some sense people are kind of using the force and, and uh, moving further and further away from truth. And I said we're unprepared for the potential storm that will come upon us, or at least upon our children and our grandchildren. In the next message, I talked about the implications of this, and I explained that the purpose of spiritual formation in the home spiritual transformation of converts, and the need for spiritual reformation uh, by people who weren't uh, catechized appropriately is an important part of what we're to be about. And that the processes of assimilation and persecution, which are the explanation of the attack on the fruitfulness of the word in the parable of the sower, uh, shows that Satan steals the word from some, they just never get it, but assimilation draws away disciples as the cares of this life and the things of this world draw people towards them. And then as persecution, which thank God we have not suffered, though there is potential for that, uh, makes others fall away because they can't take the pressure and the persecution. The result is double-mindedness. We're a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll in, in that sense. Compromise and stumbling by believers. Then I talked about the primary institutions and addressed the social institutions of our culture and the culture war where we're moving away from kinship and family and the more um, traditional um, institutions to a greater and greater dependent on, dependence on government, uh, government uh, control and protection, if you will, uh, in such a way that uh, we now have a loss because we have not maintained the primary institutions of the 
kingdom, which are the household and the congregation. And as the cultural institutions become less friendly to our faith, we have to reestablish the household and the congregation as intended by God in diaspora. And we must understand then appropriately how to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. In the last one, Living by This Rule, I did an overview of the Benedict Rule as a guide to household and congregational um, structures in making these institutions of the kingdom, the home, an outpost of the kingdom, and the congregation, a embassy of the kingdom. Uh, and these are places where covenant, vows, and commitment to God and to each other uh, is learned and practiced, and then order and the structures that God gives us are also learned and practiced. Today what I want to do is talk briefly about the contents of a Judeo-Christian household, and then we're going to stop the recording and have an extended Q&A with a discussion of what's working in our homes and what's not working, what we're struggling with in our homes. This is not a brag or uh, confession hour. It's a discussion of what's working for us and what's not working for us as we move more and more in preparation for a world that is, uh, uh, has moved from friendly towards our faith to ignorant of our faith or hostile to our faith. So, uh, we've often spoken of the structure and the making of a Judeo-Christian home. So, I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but I do want to remind you of the components uh, that need to be there. I just did this uh, last summer, I think. The first thing is the markers of the faith. A marker is an indication that the home is an outpost of the kingdom of God. When you leave California and enter into Oregon or into Arizona, you will see signs. Those signs will welcome you to Arizona or to Oregon, uh, indicating that a boundary has been reached. When you go into a store, you'll know whether you're going into a Walmart or a Target uh, not by what's being sold, but by the signs in the front that tell you what this is. There are markers in a Judeo-Christian home that are supposed to exist and are supposed to let us, remind us, that we are uh, in a religious home, but also to tell others who are uh, entering that they are in a religious home. Now this is based on Deuteronomy chapter 6, Verses 4 through 9, the Shema, where it says, These words shall be on your heart. They shall be as frontals for your eyes. You'll write them uh, on your doorpost, mezuzah. You'll write them on your gates. The idea being that God's word is supposed to permeate uh, everything about us. And so what Jews have done is they have put mezuzahs on their doorways and they have written them on their uh, on their phylacteries and they have tried to Fulfill that in the Newer Testament, in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, 16 to 17, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord in your heart. We're told in the scriptures that God's word is supposed to permeate all around us. And that is not just a mental process but a actual physical environment. So one of the things that we've talked about is that God's word is to be a marker in our homes. 
And that can take the form of a mezuzah. I'm sure some of you have those somewhere in your house. Uh, Scripture or religious symbols placed on our walls. The household altar that many of us have in our homes with the family Bible on it. Or other uh, religious and ritual items on display as a reminder and a marker of the faith. So that when you enter back into your home, there is a sense that you're there. If you walked in this place and none of this symbolism and uh, items were here, it was just an empty room and maybe there was a basketball in the corner and there was uh, a trash can and there was something else, you would have no idea that this was a sanctuary. There'd be no markers to indicate that that's what it is. And so part of what our homes have to have are indicators that it is a religious home. Uh, So uh, setting markers is important, really important for the children. I think those markers need to be changed from time to time because what we do is we tend to uh, uh, get used to them and then we just don't see them. The second thing are household roles and rules. A biblical family has roles that are given to them by God and there are rules that we are governed by, which we call the commandments of God, and those are to be practiced in the home. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to uh, chapter 6, verses 9, and you know these passages, God gives wives the role that they are to play in relationship to their husband. He gives husbands the role that the husband is to play uh, in responsibility for and in self-sacrificing love towards his wife. The role of the children as disciples learning the faith is established by God and the responsibility of the father to be a discipler and to bring up his children in the admonition and nurture of the Lord is spelled out. And then we have this master servant role, which really is about adult children in the house and the head of household That's that we don't generally understand. We always talk about employer and employee. But these are really stewards of the house. Uh, and the steward of the house is a responsible person in the house uh, towards the person who's the head of the house. And the head of the house is supposed to be appropriate in their uh, guidance of that uh, so those rules are spelled out and those should be practiced in the home. And that's not an easy thing to do. It's really easy for us to, to default from our rules into our personality. You know, I have a tendency to fall back into my personality because my personality is natural to me, right? But the rules are things that I need to do. We go into rules and some of our rules are are relational roles, and so when you're in relationship to people, that's how you function. And those roles can change from time to time. When I was the dean of the School of Behavioral Sciences, my role towards the faculty was different than now as I'm a professor and someone else is the dean, right? And and so it's not about uh, your character. It's not about your... Uh, your commitment so much as it's about the role that you've been given by God in that context. And we have to bring ourselves back to those roles, knowing that we're not free to stop doing the roles because someone else in the relationship has stopped doing the role. I mean, can you imagine if God stopped His role towards us, 
on the basis that we stopped being appropriate in our role towards him. Right? So the idea is, as much as depends on us, we live in the context of that role. And then there are rules that we are to follow, and those are the commandments. It's, it's amazing to me how many people, when I talk about this in other contexts, will say, oh, what those commandments are for how we treat other people. No, these commandments are about how we treat everybody, right? Uh, In Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 28 to 34, we are given uh, the great commandments. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, here is the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your life, and with all your strength. And the second, he says, is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in John's Gospel, in the 13th chapter, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said to his disciples, right before uh, his passion, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. So three major commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, which includes the stranger, and love one another. One about holiness, one about righteousness, and one about unity. And in those commandments, all the other commandments uh, come into play. Um, So, it is the roles and rules of God that have to be understood and consistently practiced in our homes. And that requires confession and restoration when we have let this slip. And we often let it slip. And a commitment to talk about these roles and rules regularly. Uh, not easy to do. Uh, we mean to do it, and life gets in the way. In non-marital households, the roles are still family roles And the rule of St. Benedict and other rules that have been found in Judaism and Christianity give us a model for that. So if you're in a roommate situation, uh, you can still have someone who functions as the head of the house. And you are still brothers and sisters in the Lord in some context. And so those things were to treat older uh, men as fathers and older women as mothers and younger women as sisters and brothers and the children as if they are all, in some sense, our nieces and nephews or sons and daughters in the Lord. And that that immediate family context is supposed to be uh, part of the household. Now, I always have to say this. When I'm told to treat my fellow believer as a brother or a sister, it doesn't mean that I treat them the way I treat my brother or my sister. A lot of us have grown up in family situations where it was not a biblical model of how to treat each other, uh, and it's really talking about that biblical model in that context. So, uh, keeping the household not only marked as holy territory, but a place where we learn and practice the roles and rules are important. The third thing is devotional times and uh, catechesis, or devotional times and instruction. A religious home is supposed to be doers of the word, and therefore providing worship and catechesis in the home. 
Now, the worship structure follows around two things. One, the holy days, as we find them in Leviticus chapter 23 and other passages. And of course, we're very familiar with the Jewish holy days and the Christian holy days. Keeps us quite busy. And uh, going through that process with the religious year and the religious calendars and the Bible readings is part of that. And some of that should be done in the home. Uh, And particularly Shabbat, uh, or something that you do even on the Lord's Day uh, is part of this this notion. Uh, we observe the holy days, but we also observe the life cycle events. And in that sense, the family altar is a practical gathering place in the home for prayer. Paul tells Timothy, from a child you have known the scriptures. Um, and he talks about the faith that was in his mother and his grandmother. These things were learned in the home. Uh, as well as in the synagogue or in the congregation. So that family altar is a practical gathering place in the home for prayer at, at particular times. Certainly the, the Sabbath table, the study of God's word and catechesis uh, of the children is a vital part of being doers of the word. And that has to be planned and intentional. And even when it's planned and intentional, often those things fall apart on us. Uh, and I'm hoping as we discuss that, we'll find little ways to figure out a way to pick ourselves up, dust ourselves up, and start all over again. As the song, not the hymn, the song says, right? Uh, the fourth thing, the last thing that uh, makes a home, markers, the roles and rules, the devotion and instruction. The last one is the library and ritual items. There are tools for everything that we have talked about. Uh, and those tools uh, really are found in our home library and in a usable set of ritual items in the home. And those things can be displayed maybe seasonally, brought out uh, at appropriate times. Uh, and because we're Judeo-Christian, our items uh, will include Judaica, we may have menorahs or Seder plates and those kinds of things, or Christian items, nativity sets, advent candles, crosses, uh, memorial candles for, for uh, remembering those who have gone to be with the Lord. Uh, it doesn't matter how fancy the items are. Very simple items or family heirlooms can be used for this purpose. But our goal is to establish a clear and intentional atmosphere of practicing the presence of God in the home and the communion of saints also in our homes. Those items are what I'm hoping that we'll be able to talk about. But I want to give you a uh, uh, one last statement here. And it's in the book of Joshua. So this one I'd like you to take a look at. Joshua, the last chapter, chapter 24. And I wish we had time to read all of it, but we don't. I'm only going to pick it up at uh, verse 14. Um, Joshua begins this section by reviewing for the congregation in the way that Moses did in Deuteronomy. This becomes a pattern. 
and in the way that others do as they get older and are telling their family before they die. At the end of this chapter, uh, Joshua uh, will, will die and be buried. So again, w- it, these happen from time to time and certainly at the end of one's uh, life or ministry or those kinds of things. Um, he tells them what God has done for them. He reminds them of the narrative of God that is found in the scriptures of his calling them to himself, of his taking care of them, uh, of their struggle to not always be faithful to God, even though God has been faithful to them. And so we get to verse 14, where Joshua says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river uh, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, whose land in which you are living, you want to assimilate? Go ahead and assimilate. But as for me... And my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. So, Joshua says, May in my house we're serving the Lord. The people go, Hey, we're, we're with you. Right? Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord. For He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And he will not forgive the transgressions of your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. Wow. He doesn't say God will reject you as a people. He says the blessing of God is in your obedience and the punishment of God is in your disobedience. And you won't be able to do it because there's pressure to assimilate and there's pressure of persecution. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourself the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now therefore, he says, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. What is, what is he saying? Then start acting like it. Right? They're, the words are there. You can hear Isaiah. These people draw near me with their words, but their hearts are far from me. And the people said, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. 
And Joshua said to the people, This stone shall be a witness against us, for he has heard all the words, it has heard all the words which he spoke to us. Uh, It shall be a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. Now, after telling the people God's testimony among them and their calling to himself, Joshua and the people make a covenant to serve the Lord. Why a covenant? Why do we need to do things in ritual? Why do we need to do things with items there? Isn't it just spirit and truth? No, because we're flesh. And we live in a world that's got all kinds of markers, all kinds of roles, all kinds of rules. And the more you act in that context, the less your identity will be tied to the Lord and the more your identity will be tied to the world. That's really what assimilation is about. And so, we as a congregation, consistent with this practice that Joshua did, and the Baptist tradition of having a church covenant, covenant each year around Pentecost that we will serve the Lord in our homes and in our congregations. Our culture is now shifting, and the religious community is weak and double-minded. I don't know if I told you this, but recently on Facebook, a former student from Cal Baptist, who was very active on campus and very focused on spiritual things, even in her Facebook posts over the last several years, about a month ago, posted on Facebook, and I haven't seen a post since then, saying, because of this divorce, and because of what's been said about me, it's clear that none of this would have happened if there was a God. So I renounce Jesus and all that I believed. And after her came person after person after person who said the same thing. As soon as they left college and got into real life, it was clear to them that this is a game and they want nothing to do with it. We are beginning to see a falling away of a generation. And they at least grew up where there was much more Compatibility with Christianity and the culture. The children and grandchildren of this group are going to be in a much darker place. And so we need to take this seriously. We need to choose this day whether we're going to be conformed to the culture and do what we can, or we're going to serve the Lord in full. And I'm hoping that we will say with Joshua, as for me and my house, We shall serve the Lord. Now, this commitment is like every other commitment. Dr. Lewis is fond of saying that marriage is one formal yes and a lot of little yeses. In some sense, marriage is every day getting up and saying, I take you to be my husband or I take you to be my wife. It's not that one time now, it's just there. It's every day getting up and saying, I have to live according to that statement. And that's really the same as our commitment to the Lord, which is likened in the scripture to a marriage. So, 
Uh, our plan today is to do an expanded Q&A and a full discussion of what's working and not working in our homes so that we can learn from each other and be encouraged by each other in this covenant by which we abound ourselves and which this furniture and this place is a witness against us that we have made that commitment uh, before the Lord. And I want to take that in the order of the markers, the roles and rules, the devotion and catechism, and the library and ritual items. But we'll start with a basic Q&A in case there's something you need to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.